name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming today. Um, kids, church, and kids, kings, aged kids are dismissed now if they want to go to their classes. Uh, kids' church is across the fireside here, and kids' church is downstairs. If they'd like to go, uh, that would be great, but they're welcome to stay as well. Uh, but welcome again to Hiawatha. My, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad you're here as uh, both Spence and uh, Jess said. If you're here for the child dedications, welcome. If you just uh, are here just visiting for whatever reason, uh, welcome. Uh, glad to have you guys for one of our services. We are currently in uh, the Gospel of John, preaching-wise. Actually, second week of what will amount to be an 18-month-ish series. So you're here at the very beginning. Uh, in fact, I'm going to read the first verses from last week as well to kind of catch you guys up and, and to connect the two uh, sections here today. We're in, we're in chapter 1, 6 to 13, verses 6 to 13. If you have a Bible or a phone app and want to turn there, uh, you're uh, more than welcome to do that. This will be on screen here in just a second, though. Uh, one thing I said last week about John's, John's gospel of the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John's gospel tells us the story of Jesus from a heavenly spiritual perspective. Um, it, they all do, but John, maybe especially so. We talked a bit about that if you were here last week. Yet, it's going to get quite earthly uh, today as well. And that's part of the point. Uh, the, the gospel is of heaven and that it's of God, and yet we can understand it. And coming to terms with how that can be is a big part of understanding Christianity as a whole. All right, so I'll walk through some of this today, but this will be a big piece, of course, to um, the whole of John's gospel and our journey through it. Uh, today is uh, called Not by the Will of Man. Are we essentially born into God's family. That's a direct quote uh, from the passage. We'll get to that. There's a lot going on, though. We'll look at that uh, especially, though, and see how a lot of the pieces orbit around uh, the sun of, of that gospel idea. Uh, but again, I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 uh, today to kind of catch you up to speed if you weren't here, but show how the first five verses, the prologue, uh, flows into um, the verses 6 to 13. All right, so let's start with 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." All right, so uh, three angles on this passage today. If you uh, have a worship folder, there's a sermon insert inside. If you kind of want to see where we're going, feel free to uh, take a peek at that or even take notes if you would like. Uh, but we're going to start with John the Baptist. Uh, this is when he uh, essentially enters stage left uh, onto, the, onto John's gospel. Uh, all four gospels mention him. Uh, verse 6 can actually be kind of confusing if you don't know much about the Bible yet because He's just called John, and we're in the Gospel of John, so it's already two Johns in play. Uh, not, this is not the author John, this is John the Baptist. Uh, but again, mention all four Gospel accounts. He essentially was the last Old Testament prophetic pointer to Jesus Christ. 
He was the one who prepared his way by baptizing people in the Jordan River, calling them to repent and turn from their sin and to prepare their hearts for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the the king who was promised long ago to come and right all wrongs and to fix uh, all problems, to protect them, to fight their battles, uh, the people of God, and to set up an era of eternal peace. So these are all like pieces to the kind of the prophetic promise after David lived and died, if you know about him. Uh, But John was kind of this, uh, like the prophets were themselves, this intermediary figure, uh, prophetic figure, who was pointing and we'll, to Jesus. We'll read more about him in the coming weeks. In each gospel, uh, a lot of you guys know this, they choose to stress different things about him and his ministry. So I'd prefer to let John's gospel unfold for us these next few weeks rather than trying to cram it all in here definitionally. But I do want to stress his importance for us today because he himself teaches us theology in what he says and who he is and in what he does. All right, so a couple of things in today's passage that stand out. Uh, the first is just the way it starts in John 6. We, we just learned that he was a man. He was a human being, uh, just like us. Those are the first words, right? There was a man sent from God, which may sound quite benign and kind of uh, simple and maybe easy to read over. But when you connect that verse, those, even that first half verse, with verses 1 to 5, which is partly why I wanted to read them again today, We move from this heavenly mystical word who is somehow both with God and who was God, speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ uh, in in the very beginning. We move from all of that in the first five verses to this very earthly uh, picture, right? This very earthly mundane picture of a normal person, just like us. And that, in a word or a phrase, is the movement of the incarnation, The word became flesh. God became man. The heavenly became earthly. The uh, God and and the hope that he had for us came down to us rather than uh, calling us to to ascend. Verse 6 is essentially telling us that a man, not heavenly beings or heavenly creatures, but a man is going to witness about this heavenly light, this eternal word of God that. Um, again, it's mystical, it's untouchable, it's unapproachable. Like we said last week, it's epic, it's big, it's hard to get our minds around and explain. But then in verse 6, you have this, oh, we can get that. We understand what a person is. We understand that a, what a, who a man is because we are a person, just like John the Baptist was. And so you have this sense that there's this movement from the inexplicable to the very understandable. And that's who God is. That's what he's like. He's done that for us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. He's brought heaven to us. He has decidedly not asked us to go up there to understand him. He has brought his understanding of himself down to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so John is a harbinger of that reality. Uh, he, the, the gospel is a bridge-building reality, and John is a harbinger of that idea that the word does not need interpretation because it's taking on an earthly form. All right, so we have that idea in in one sense, but on the other side, we also have this important piece that John is not the light. So verse uh, 8 says, John was not the light, but he came to point to the light, to bear witness about the light, to to talk about it. And this is not in today's passage, but in John 1.20, Uh, We'll get there in a couple of weeks. John says, I am not the Christ. Christ, which is the same thing, right? You have John's commentary here in verse 8, but in 120, he just says it. I am not the Christ. 
I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. And um, I really like this picture here too. Um, it's a little bit dim. But you have a picture of John literally pointing to Jesus coming over the, the hill. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this, how John baptizes Jesus in, in a couple of weeks. We'll get to that part of John 1, which is very important, very cool. Uh, not today. Well, but this is what happens right before when John sees he actually sees the light, right? He sees the Christ and says, I'm not the light, but look, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, he's coming to us, traveling down to the waters where we're being baptized. He's going to enter into that himself as a sign of his impending substitution. More on that in, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but in, another way to say this, though, and to kind of point back to this picture, is to say, John bears witness about Jesus but Jesus bears witness about himself. I'm quoting from uh, chapter 8, 18 there. We'll see this, how Jesus says, I am bearing witness about myself. God the Father bears witness about me. I am bearing witness about myself. John's bearing witness, though, about, about Jesus. So you see how they're both the same thing, but from different sides? We point, so to bring ourselves into John the Baptist here, we point outward to solutions, not inward to solutions, but with Jesus, it's the opposite. Jesus doesn't point us outward saying the solution is in this way of living or it's over there. Take the path, climb the mountain. Jesus points inward and saying, I myself, my body is the solution. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the way to God. I am the mediator. I'm not telling you about it. I'm placing myself in that big blank spot when it comes to your problems, your question, and your exile from your creator. I am the solution. So with John, we have this picture of us, and we have this picture of the human experience in, in a lot of ways. We point outward. We're, we don't point inward. We don't point to ourselves. Uh, we too are not the light. We're not the solution to, um, to our own problems but we can point to the one who is. This is really what we do as Christians. Not all of you are probably Christians here today, but if you are a Christian, is this not what we do? This is our experience, right? This is, this, this is evangelism, you could say in a nutshell, but this is more than evangelism. It's, uh, it's our life. We're constantly with words and deeds, uh, literally and figuratively pointing somewhere else besides us because we're not that great or exciting and we get happier when we're not on stage when we're not on the throne of our lives. Uh, th th this is what the gospel does. It pries our fingers off of our chest and it points them elsewhere, saying, Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. He's the one who's come, exactly like John the Baptist is saying here. We're the pointers, we're heralds, we're testifiers, we're news bringers, but the pointing is not at us. It's at the true light. You don't have to... Uh, you know, Google lame Christian memes uh, too much uh, to see the opposite of this, or maybe, uh, you know, bad religious pop psychology. This is just one that popped up this past week uh, where it says the opposite, right? Every, everything you need uh, actually is inside you. Uh, um, this is the world's message. This is the message um, some of you may still have as maybe a mantra of your life. If you're a Christian, you used to. Um, don't let others light your fire. You have your own matches. I don't even know totally what that means. But um, the first line, I guess, is more. Uh, that's, that's the message. Uh, everything you need is you. And, and uh, this is common therapy today, too. Uh, people 
are going to therapy more now than ever. Um, I was uh, in a coffee shop on Tuesday with a friend, and there was a few baristas behind the, um, the counter. And one of them walked out with a laptop, and she said to her coworkers, oh, it's time for my therapy session. I'll be in back for a little bit. And she kind of walked back there, and it's like, um, so much therapy, right? So much. A lot of you are in, are in therapy. It's not right or wrong. It just is. Um, a lot of it's bad. Uh, my daughter's 15. She says a lot of her friends are in therapy right now, and most of them hate it, she said, which is interesting. Talked about that. Um, because they're not, it's not working. That was actually what she said, is my friends are like, what they're telling me to do isn't working. Uh, but, but a lot of worldly therapy is essentially that, like um, tap into the inner light. Um, some of you guys know Emily Kleiber. I don't know if she's here this morning at this service, maybe next service, but she is our counseling director here and, and provides biblical counseling. I do as well, but she handles the, the brunt of it. Does a great job. A lot of you have met with her. I encourage you to if you haven't yet, you like to talk to somebody. Um, but she would say, and I'd concur, that it's okay to talk about what's inside of you, you know, and to mull over that and talk about where you come from in your past, but you're not going to find help in there. You're not going to find any solution. Don't muck around in there. Uh, you, you have to get outside of yourself. And so basically, you know, she and I and all of our pastors here, of course, and it goes beyond that, but the, our, our leadership it's so essentially what we're going to do is say, we'll talk about that, but we have to do what John the Baptist does. We essentially do this, this. We point somewhere else, not to the inner light, not to overcoming your problems and your addictions and your fears and anxieties and depressions yourself because you just simply can't. And the hope of the scriptures is you don't have to. That's another layer to this, right? It's one thing to say that there's hope elsewhere. Another thing to say that you don't have to overcome it to be saved. You don't have to rid yourself of anxiety through medication or therapy or willpower. You don't have to do it. Like, um, there's hope in the gospel that that will start to, like, you know, release itself from your soul when you just get over yourself and your shame or your past hurts. That's, that's a real thing. But you also don't have to, and you may never, because you're saved by grace, uh, not, by, uh, not by therapy. All right. So the beginning of the gospel, just to go back to this, the, the beginning of the gospel is saying, we're not the light, Jesus is. And I say beginning of the gospel not like um, just in a theological sense, like that's one of the first things we acknowledge about the good news of Jesus, but I mean in a literary sense, this is one of the first things we're reading here, right? And the, the Chapter one is not even a third over, and we're already seeing that we human beings are not the light, Jesus is. In other words, we don't save, he does. Clear as day, clear as day, that message is here. And that should bring both a mix of relief and offense. If you feel a bit of both of that, that's normal. If you feel one of those two things, that's normal. But it's, it's going to bring offense because you are not enough. Uh, Jesus is. But it's going to bring relief in saying, it's okay. You don't have to be enough. You see how that can bring both? The gospel is going to do both uh, at some point in our life, if not if not simultaneously. All right, let's move on. So the, the next thing I want to do, I want to back up here a little bit and talk about the bad news. Um, this passage has, I, kinda, I guess that kind of was, but the passage has a pretty straightforward bad news, good news setup to it, which is what I really like about it. And one reason why we chose to break it down this way um, in the series planning. But it does so in an interesting way, and uh, a kind of unique way. Maybe you saw it, but... By that, I mean the, the language it uses about the bad news. Uh, the bad news is that the world did not know him. 
The world did not know God or understand him. This is a, an often untouched area of gospel study, and that is, uh, maybe you've noticed it when you've read the gospels before, um, it's, it's fascinating, but that the world did not recognize God when he was staring at them in the face, you know, and you think, well, how did they not know, you know, like when they're staring at Jesus, ready to stone him, right, or ready to kill him, or just talking to him, and of course, some start to figure it out, right, you know, the, some of you know the story, uh, but how, how? And that's what this is saying, is that we don't know God. We just don't. Um, We're so far from him, we don't know him, and we shouldn't presume to know on our terms. It's a great thing if you're not a Christian yet especially, is that um, what this is inviting you to to start to think about is not to project your view of God onto him, onto the Bible, and to shape him into your image, right? It's saying, you don't know what he's like. You think you do. But you don't. None of us do until God tells us what he's like, right? We think we do. Like, if I was God, maybe I wouldn't have created a hell. Maybe I think I would be more patient than the creator. Maybe I would, you know, I wouldn't have um, been so uh, rigid in in only creating two genders, right? We might say today or something like that. But how could God do that? Something like that. That's more of a cynical side, of course. But we might say, if I were God, I might do this, uh, and, and it's different. But what God is saying is, I'm, you know, you don't know me, and you don't know my ways, and that's a problem, right? It's actually kind of how we understand the solution, too, is coming to know him, which we'll get to in a second. Another implication for this is that sin is not just, sin is not just the bad things we do. Sin is blindness. Uh, sin is self-absorption. It's such preoccupation with self that we don't recognize God. That's a good like working definition of sin, not exhaustive, but it is such preoccupation with self that we, we don't even see him or think about him. Or um, it's like uh, one of those, I was trying to brainstorm with Spencer this morning because like, this came to mind very last minute or else I would, would have researched it out. But uh, have you ever seen like a movie or maybe like a, a PSA or something where there's some woman on a subway and she's on her phone and she's so absorbed with taking selfies and posting about herself that she misses this guy next to her that would have been her husband if she would have looked up and had a conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen something like that? Is that a PSA or is that a movie? I, maybe it's both. I don't know. Uh, it might just be a PSA on just get your head out of your, you know, self for a minute because um, you never know who's going to bump shoulders with you. I think it's kind of like that. That's sort of our experience with God. We're so self-absorbed that we don't even know what we don't know. And uh, the, the biggest things, we don't know God. And even if we're staring at him right in the face. Um, I, I, and to go back to this pa- passage, I think this is why, partly why at least, it seems to draw a line between Jew and Gentile here. Do you guys notice that? Like it says um, in verse 11, he came, Jesus came to his own, his own people, the Jewish people. His own people, the Jews, did not receive him. It kind of implies that others will. And we'll see that. How, why is there like widespread Gentile reception of Jesus, but so many of the Jews uh, weren't prepared for him. Um, and I, I think that's the case because, you know, one reason the big difference here is because Jew and Gentile, if you were to ask what's the difference between them, the big answer would be the law. Uh, it's not just a broad understanding of ethnicity. It is the big difference between the Jews is they had the law, the commandments, the rules of God of the Old Testament. The, the Gentiles didn't have that. And so I think what's going on here, in part at least, is that the Jews were preoccupied 
with keeping it, whether from good or bad motive, uh, zeal, rightly placed or misplaced zeal, but by looking at their hands and their works, they missed God. Uh, and, and we know this is the case in the New Testament. It, it's clear as day. We'll, we'll see it play out in the story. Um, but I wanted to start with this uh, thing here. I threw it on screen that the rules stood between people and Jesus rather than served as an on-ramp to him. That's going to be a big part of John's theology. Uh, the rules, the commandments, were not a help so much uh, to get to him. Even though they existed in one sense to give way to him, uh, the rules stood between as an obstacle between people and Jesus, making them look at themselves uh, too much, rather than served as an easy access on ramp to the freeway of Christ and salvation. All right? Uh, and that's true for us as well. This is why we move from old to new covenants, why Jesus replaces the law with himself rather than goes all back in on it, saying now let's raise the bar and get back to the spirit of it. Uh, as some Christians would say, it's actually just not true. Uh, Jesus replaces, uh, not doubles down. All right, more on that as the series goes on. All right, but then we have in verse uh, 12, the, the but. This is the contrast, right? Uh, the, the transition to good news is to all who did receive him, which tells us, okay, no one recognized him, but yet some people kind of are. How's that going to be? And so kind of add some questions here and some dramatic tension, which makes you want to keep reading. But the big like transition transitions us to, to all who received him, he gave the right to become part of God's family. Uh, it tells us to, the word receive and, and believe tells a couple of things though. One, Jesus is traveling our way, right? The, the good news is not to all who find him. The good news is to all who receive him. Uh, he wants to make himself known to people who have forgotten him. That's who the God of the Bible is. Isn't that great? God wants to make himself known to you. He's not waiting for you to figure out the code, to translate the data, the language. He wants to, he's not hiding. Um, if you guys have ever heard from a, a pastor or someone who's been to seminary that you have to know Greek or Hebrew to understand God or the Bible, they're lying. They're wrong. Maybe they're not lying, but they're just, that's not true. God is the God of all languages. He's not hiding behind some nuance in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. You don't have to understand those languages. You have to understand the gospel. You have to read in English or whatever your language is. You have to read the, the word. Uh, God has translated himself, right, for you through the hard work of people who've done translation throughout history. He's done that. You don't have to. All right, that's just a, a bunny trail, but... Um, all right, so the, but the, the first thing is he's traveling our way. The second thing would be just to say um, belief is all that's required to be saved. And don't skip over that too quickly. Please think about this. Some of you have never heard this. But Christians, don't just skim over it. Nothing else is required to be saved or to stay saved other than belief. Uh, it, that's it. And this is actually what separates us from the demons, as James puts it, if you've read that. Not just knowledge about Jesus, but belief and reception of him. Or we could say, uh, Christians truly come to know him and be known by him, right, when we receive him. But that's it. Receiving him into our life, believing that he lived and died for us, that's it. And then it says, we are given the right to become children of God. Verse 13, though, is very important. I want you to look at this again who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
So you see what this is saying? And again, we're 13 verses in. It's like chapter one's pretty, uh, pretty long, if you know that. Uh, it's dozens of verses. But we're barely in this book. And he is all, John is already at pains to show us how when it comes to the gospel, it, it comes in like a flood. I'll read this. Uh, a flood of grace. And in every way, against the currents of our works. It comes in against the natural flow of things. Not in unison with or response to what we've done, but in spite of it. So when John is saying not the will of man, it's saying not our choices that save us. It's not our efforts, our moral effort. Uh, it's not uh, bloodline. So we're starting to kind of poke a bit at just, just the fact that you're a Jew uh, doesn't mean you're saved. And uh, the New Testament makes a big deal of this, of course. It's not based on inheriting uh, something like that. Uh, it's simply based on, it must be on something else. And, and it, the passage tells us it's based on reception, right? The Bible here does not say, to all who were good, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who were not bad, it says, to all who received him. All who were good or bad, who received him. See, you know, morality has nothing to do with it at all. Bloodline has nothing to do with it. Nothing doesn't matter what you've done in life. you got to let that go. So some of you, this is a pride thing. Some of you, this is good news. But if we think we're kind of good, right, or if we've done something for God, uh, we have to let that go. Uh, none of that matters when it comes to salvation. It's, it's, it's garbage. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, it's trash, it's rubbish. To let that go. And realize here that to all who receive the traveling one-way love of God, the, the, the love that traveled from heaven to earth to us to receive that into our life and say, Jesus loves me and died for me. That's what makes you a child of God and adopted in the family, son or daughter of the king. Not to all who were good, but to all who received. That's, that's the good news here uh, as it starts to break in through, um, through John 1 and through John the Baptist. All right, then the, the last part is the world is made through him. I want to, there's still kind of a lingering question here, uh, I think, for us about how we are to receive him and precisely in what way we are to trust him because we know there's more to the gospel than Jesus's arrival. Uh, if you didn't know that, that, there is. There's more to the gospel than Jesus being born into the world, uh, the word becoming flesh. If we stop there, there's actually bad news to it because it just means that Jesus is here to judge and there's no reconciliation uh, with him. Um, but I'd also say that there's more to the story, if you were here last week uh, for this, there's more than a vague notion of new creation and light. I, I think sometimes the Bible has terms for us that are like helium balloons and you have to tie them and anchor them to something or else they'll just float away and they won't mean anything. The idea of new creation is just a balloon. The idea of light, a heavenly light, it's just a balloon. Without anchoring it to something else, it will just float away and it won't mean anything. And so the words and concepts serve a greater purpose than themselves. So the question remains, how exactly will God save us from not recognizing him? How will God save you and me from self-absorption? How will God save us from believing that we have the light inside us? These aren't simple things that can just be turned from. They require a greater payment, uh, a solution. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll answer these questions in a macro sense as the, the gospel goes on, but there are hints. There's always these hints along the way. Last week we saw how the darkness was said to be pursuing or 
seeking to overcome the light, if you're here for that. This week, the hint is in the phrase, the world was made through him. The world was made through Jesus. And we talked about that phrase last week a little bit, kind of by way of Colossians 1.16. But I want to go circle back to it and talk, talk about it again by way of the question of how this helps us understand Jesus' mission. All right, and um, I want to start by just saying this. Uh, agents, if you think about it experientially, um, and kind of by looking at God's creation, right? Agents of creation often suffer in order to create the thing they are intending to create. So um, think about like a seed's shell cracking open uh, before it gives forth life, or an egg breaking to bring forth life, or a woman's body uh, giving birth how it suffers, or steel being forged through fire before it comes a sword, or cramps in our hands from kneading the dough that we'll soon make into a pie crust, or even a work of art uh, made through the painstaking precision and imagination of an artist. Um, the list goes on, but the reality is what, if we're the agents of the creation, usually we suffer, even in a small way, as we're bringing forth something new. And one place we see this in Scripture that's very relevant to John 1 is when Adam, back in Genesis, becomes an agent of creation for Eve. You guys remember how that goes in Genesis 2? Eve was made, same word, through Adam, right? By being formed from a rib taken out of his side. Um, when God made him go to sleep, it says here, and he, he cut open his side, broke a rib off, took it out of him, it says at the end of 21, closed up the place with flesh. So we know it was physical harm, right? Like he was, like this is surgery. And he took the rib and he made a woman out of it. Uh, which is maybe one of the, it probably doesn't win, win the award for oddest story in the Bible because there's very odd stories that probably um, go above it. But this is a pretty weird one, right? You might think, why? If God just made Adam from the dust, why not the woman too? Or why can't he just, if God made the light by speaking, and that's it, let there be light, and there was, why not with the woman here as well? Why not just say, let there be a woman? It was always a purpose to God, right? He's not like, oh, shoot, I forgot to speak. I forgot that I, I can just speak and do this. And uh, I, what, was, what was I thinking, right? Obviously, it's not the case. Um, there's purpose, and there's deep theological purpose to this, especially when read back through the lens of Jesus. So let me say again. Eve was formed through Adam's bodily harm. Adam's the agent of creation. He suffered in order to bring forth his wife through a cut in his side and a broken bone. And this is where things get really interesting because we know Adam and Jesus are connected theologically all over the place in the Bible. Jesus being called a second Adam in places like Romans 5, but who is now mentioned in John 1 in connection with a second creation. Right? Remember that from last week? This is, in the beginning, God was there and he made everything. Now in John 1, in the beginning was the gospel. In the beginning was the word. So we know that a new creation is beginning to take place through Jesus. And so when the Bible says that the whole world is made through Jesus, this is not just a statement of worldly origins. This is a nod to Jesus' sufferings. This is a hint of his impending crucifixion, how he would make, remake us spiritually through his crucifixion. Um, John 19, we'll get here late, months and months from now, but Jesus, this is how Jesus made the church, ultimately, how 
how we were made is through his death, right? When the second Adam was also had his, his own side opened up and pierced with a spear. Um, it's a very similar imagery to Adam's by intention. Uh, the Bible's not just randomly making a mistake here. This is, there's two Adams in the Bible who both have open sides and who both create wives uh, through their pain. Um, and so, again, when something is made, it comes at the expense of the thing it was made through. I mean, even, even if you don't believe the Bible, you have to acknowledge this experientially. It, we see it all, every day we see this in our lives and in, in, in God's creation. But the scriptures are at pains to show us this. There's no making without suffering. Uh, Acts 15 says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, through his grace. Like Israel passed through the split sea when they came out of Egypt. God has been saying all throughout scripture, and our creation itself attests to these things, that a day is coming when I will be harmed so you can be saved. When the light will be chased by the darkness. When the sun will go out on the cross. And when I will be the agent of create, my son will be the agent of creation and his harm will mean your good. His pain, his broken bones, his blood spilt will mean your good. And you will be saved and you will be recreated and you will be my sons and daughters. More than that, you'll be my bride. We are the new Eve as the church and we will be born into his family not through our obedience or our self-harm, or our penance, or a looking inside for the light and the solution, but through me alone, God says. And, and as uh, John the Baptist, I, you know, he's not, I guess, eloquently putting it through words uh, yet, but he's eloquently saying with his body, look, the solution is not us, Israel. The solution is not us, world. Like, none of you chose to be born physically through your parents, right? You have no claim or stake on that. It's the same with salvation. You have no stake in how you're saved. You, you are, if you are in the family of God and born and remade, we're saved through him there. Made through him there. Not through anything you've ever done or, or will ever do. And so the, the, the hints of the crucifixion are here. Uh, the, the, the nods ahead are here. The stage is being set even a quarter of the way through the first chapter. There is no creation without suffering. And, uh, and God's creation testifies to it as well as his word. And, the, and again, to hear him call out to us is the main point, which is really what I want for you guys today and for myself, is not just to hear the facts but to hear God say through his word, I love you, and I'm, I love you so much, I'm willing to give up everything for you. And there's nothing I'm asking in return. That's what God says. And, and, and then at that point, it's a question of, do you believe that or not? Is there a, yeah, uh, yeah, but I still need to be a good person. You have to get that out of your mind. You have to crucify that with Christ. You have to stop it. And I do too. I think it all the time. I revert to that hellish way of thinking. There are no yeah buts when it comes to the gospel. There are no yeah buts 
when it comes to grace. There are no qualifying, ah, yeah, but we also, none of that. And John 1 is yet another resounding symbol, uh, the same old song on repeat throughout Scripture, that the whole world was made through him, which means his sufferings. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture for John 1. It's beginning to unfold before our eyes. Uh, We're not just seeing your majesty, your power, your um, otherworldliness, but we're seeing that there's going to be a way somehow that you come to us and you travel towards us and you translate yourself for us. There's going to be a way that you'll somehow um, not be overcome by the darkness, but at the same time kind of be overcome by the darkness for a few hours on that cross when you bore the sins of the world. And darkness did have its hour, as you yourself say, Jesus. And thank you for this passage today that reminds us we are not the solution or the light. We are not the Christ. Uh, We are not saved by the will of the flesh or the will of man, which is to say our works and our efforts and our choices and our rule following. Um, But we are are saved completely by the grace of God, uh, all out, wholesale, uh, never never to be qualified or checked or added to ever again. Uh, So humble us, help us to receive that good news today. Uh, Those of us who... Um, our Christians and those of us who are not, those of us who think we're good people and those of us who are not because the Bible clearly, decidedly says here it's not the good who are saved but those who receive him. And so let us with this last song receive you, uh, receive your grace, receive your offer of free salvation uh, through your nail-pierced hands uh, as we sing this song and, and uh, maybe take communion and also leave here uh, today. In Christ we pray, amen.